headlong into our summer preaching series uh, over the book of Romans. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you kind of know where we are and where we've gone. If you've not, I'll try, try to catch you up a little bit. I've entitled this series, Set Apart, and we really get that from the first verse out of Romans chapter 1. I think I've got it on the screen up there. It just says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, I've said this over and over again, uh, and, and I believe this to be really true, except for the parts where the Bible talks about God and Jesus. If it's talking about someone else, you should be able to put your name in that spot. You should be able to uh, let that flow very naturally out of your own kind of thought process that when you read Romans, which I've encouraged you to do this summer, is to dive into this book, you should be able to read through that and, and just think, this should be my calling on my life to be a uh, that I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, to all to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. Because guess what? We all are. And so as you read through Romans, which I've talked to a lot of people, and they said, I've just kind of let that be my summer reading, uh, then I, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to keep kind of digging through that. The first week we talked a lot about Rome, right? Remember we talked about how the intellectual thoughts of, of Rome and kind of the architecture and how it was the hub of the center of everything and, and how Paul really wrote this letter in 57 AD, in the face of Nero, the emperor who was just this horrible man to Christianity, and he hated Christians, and he blamed Christians for a lot of things that he himself did and a lot of the problems that Rome, the city of Rome, had. Uh, and so Paul writes this kind of in-your-face letter to, uh, to the church in Rome, and, and we talked about what it means to be full of grace and apostleship, which is an incredible phrase that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It just means that we have grace to go. We have grace to go and share uh, the, the incredible news that we have about what Jesus has done for us. And then last week we talked about our excuses, right? Last week we talked kind of in our own grill, if you will, about how the excuses that we make to God and about why we can't do things or why we're too busy to do other things and how really men are without excuse. And it kind of hit home a little bit, I think, last week with a lot of us, how, how we've got to really... Um, kind of step up our game, if you would. We've got to stop playing at church and really stop giving excuses to God who's given everything for us, and we have to really start living this out and, and let it be real. Uh, this week, as I was reading through and, and really praying what part to go to next, uh, I was reading, you know, I, I told you that we're going to try to get through this book uh, over the summer, but there's no way we're going to be able to hit everything that, that, that it says and everything, all the good things that it says. Uh, and so I came to chapter 3, and, and I kept reading through this and over and over again, and it was almost just like God said, this is where you're going to go. This is it. This is where I want you to, to settle in. And, and, and the more I, I read through this, I was like, okay, God, this is, this is really kind of uh, in our own face again. But it, it, it combats a lot of things that I believe that, that we try to kind of justify in our own head. And so uh, in chapter 3, it's really interesting. If you, if you read through this, then, then you know that uh, chapter 3, Paul really begins the argument and begins to kind of take apart the argument of Jews versus Gentiles, right? This is kind of a lifelong thought with the Jews of of our, we, we should be more special, we are, we are different than everybody else. The Gentiles really don't deserve uh, the grace of God and, and the mercy of God. And, and, uh, and if, 
you go back history-wise, then you understand this a little bit, right? Jews with their covenantal relationship with Abraham that was established in Genesis chapter 17. Y'all remember that, right? Where, where God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to make you a father of nations. He says this really cool thing. He says, kings will come from you. And he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, and he makes this, this incredible uh, promise that, that his nations are going to just are going to expound because of Abraham. And, and he makes this promise in a very pivotal point in his life because Abraham hasn't had Isaac yet. He's already had Ishmael, but Ishmael wasn't the son of the promise that Isaac was. And so Abraham and his wife Sarah, who's now, Sarah's 90 years old, we're talking about this on Wednesday nights in our After Adam series. If you don't come on Wednesday nights, you should, because it's really great, and we have really good conversation. We just talked about a little bit of this uh, this last week, about how Sarah gives birth at 90 years old to Isaac, and uh, this promised child. And, and, and what we begin to see is that God promised Abraham with this covenant relationship, this covenant language that he uses. It's very important in the Old Testament, if you read through things, where God says, you will be my people, and I will be your God. That's covenant relationship language. It's really important when you read that in the Old Testament. It's, it kind of harkens back to Abraham and the promise that the Jews have. And then um, we know that if you fast forward a little bit, that Abram, a- Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob and Esau, right? And, and, and Jacob was the one that kind of God showed up to remember he was wrestling with the angel and he dislocated his hip and he and he changes his name from Jacob to Israel right okay everybody's following our Old Testament history right and Israel that's the reason why we call them the Israelites right not the Jacobites because he changed his name to Israel and Israel had 12 sons that we know now as the 12 tribes of Israel and if you just keep going it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it all points back to the promise that God had with Abraham father Abraham had many sons, right arm, left arm, right? Y'all remember that? And so we have this incredible promise that God made to the nation and the the people of the Jews. And then we fast forward a few generations and we get to Moses on Mount Sinai. And, and God literally says the finger of God wrote the law for Moses. And, and this incredible uh, exchange between Moses and God on the mountain. And we get the, what we now refer to as the Ten Commandments. And it just is bigger and bigger because the Jews keep adding more and more to it. And we've got hundreds of laws that for generations, if you're a good Jew, you keep the law because of the promise that God gave Abraham. And so the Jews come into this and they say, we are special, we are set apart, we are different, we're, we're not like the Gentiles, we're not like the, the pagan people of the Gentiles, right? And, and then we keep reading through our Old Testament and it gets to the prophets who are all pointing to a certain person and they just, they can't put his name to it but they just know that he's coming and then all of a sudden in the New Testament Jesus shows up and he, and he kind of turns everything on his head. And he says, yes, Jews, gosh, you guys have this incredible relationship with God. Hey, guess what? I'm a Jew too, right? Jesus says, I'm a Jew. He says, but, but God loves everybody. And he doesn't want anybody to perish. That He wants everybody to have this, this incredible life of promise. And so he, he opens up and expounds what we, the Jews knew as the law. And he begins to make it very personal, right? He begins to make it very real to people. And, and then men like... Paul and Mark and Barnabas and Timothy, uh, they come along and they take this message and they spread it out. And it goes all over to non-Jewish people, to the Gentiles, to us. And he says, this 
this promise, this, this relationship with God is open and available to everybody. It's not just, it's just not closed off just to the Jewish people. This is, this is a, something that's, that's open for everybody. And so Paul, writing the church in Rome, starts this argument trying to, trying to kind of combat this idea of Jews versus Gentiles. And he says this really incredible thing. He says, you know, what advantage is there of being a Jew? This is chapter 3, verse, I think, 3. And he says, what advantage then is there of being a Jew? And to everybody's surprise, he says, much! There's a big advantage to being a Jew. And if you remember, Paul says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm a Jew myself. I was the, I was the most Jewish Jew you ever Jew. Right? I, I was a Jew. And there's a good thing about being Jews because we Jews are God's special possession. We have this incredible relationship with him. And I think it even, it even says in those first few verses that, that we receive the word of God. And he says, but, in verse 9 he says, are we as Jews, are we any better? And he says, not at all. Not at all. We are all alike under sin. And so Paul kind of comes out saying that, that he, he goes on and quotes uh, some psalms. I think it's Psalms 50. And he says, you know, there's no one righteous, not even one. And, and that all of us, are, our mouths are, are full of cursing and bitterness and our throats are open graves. And we all, Jews and Gentiles alike, are all the same under sin because we all have the same problem. We all have the same issue. And it's called sin. And then it kind of works its way down to verse 20. And I, uh, I was reading through some commentary and some things, and this guy, Albert Arnold, in 1881, wrote a commentary on the book of Romans. And he says that this is one of the fullest and most weighted passages in all of Paul's writing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bible, chapter 3, verse 20 is where we're going to start. We're going to go just a few verses in, and we're going to stop. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Here's Paul kind of saying from the very beginning of this argument, after saying, kind of getting us all set up, that Jews and Gentiles are all alike under sin, and, and because of the law, that, that the Jews just, they, they just don't get a free pass because of the law. And he says, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. The law. Listen, if you don't hear anything today, hear this. You do not go to heaven by being a good person. You will not get to heaven by being a good person. You can do all the right things. You can go to church. You can teach Sunday school. You can give your offerings. You can love your neighbor as yourself. You can do all the thou shall nots. Or do all the thou shalls and do not all the do thou, thou shall nots, right? You can not steal and covet and lie. And you can honor your father and mother and keep the Lord's day holy. And you can do all those things, but it still doesn't save you. Martin Luther says, There's no greater arrogance than to not desire to be justified by faith in Christ. There's no greater arrogance than not to desire to be justified by faith. In Christ, because when we say that what we do earns our way, we're saying that we're good enough. That I can I can pull myself up. I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody else's help. I can work my relationship with God, where He looks at me and He smiles. He says, "Oh man, you're the greatest person that's ever. You're so good. I just want to reward you with 
righteousness and it doesn't work like that because we can't earn it we can't we can't work enough to get it we can't keep the law enough to be right with God and Paul says here that that the law is vital it's vital to our understanding of what sin is and how our sin separates us from God but keeping the law does nothing for your spiritual condition. See, we, we are in a culture where it's, it's easy just to do the church thing, right? I, as a kid, uh, growing up, we had a little indoor dog. And, and if you know my dad, my dad's real dry and he's real funny. And I, I think he's probably the, one of the funniest people I know. And, uh, and dad worked swing shift all the time with Entergy. And so he would be sometimes asleep during the day or asleep during the night or working opposite schedules. And so dad's... Uh, words of wisdom that he would just walk through the house on, as he was kind of going to work or coming back in uh, was, it was somehow my responsibility to take care of the dog. It was his dog. The dog liked him more than he liked anybody else in the house. Uh, and he would walk through the house and he'd go, do the dog thing. And that's all he'd say. And I knew that meant feed, water, take them outside, let them do their thing, let them, let them uh, kind of eat and drink and do all the stuff that the dogs have to do. He, would, he said that phrase probably 15,000 times as a kid. Do the dog thing. Do the dog thing. And he'd just walk on through. And so we are really good at doing the church thing, right? We're doing the church. We're, we're being a good person. We don't cuss too much. We, we, we talk about Jesus occasionally to people. Maybe we even invite people to church. We're, we, we have our pew, right? We have our spot. And if somebody sits in our spot, it gets real uncomfortable because we just stare at them until they move. And, and like we have this, we have our role that we play. And we're just doing the church thing. Because it's, it's just easy and we don't have to think about it and we don't have to really put a lot of effort into it and and we just kind of run through the motions because we're earning our own way that we're 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 kind of banking some brownie points with god that we think if at some point in any point that we could like show up and go hey god remember all this stuff that i did remember when i was at church all the time unless i was sick or my kids were sick Remember how I skipped that thing with the family I didn't really want to go to anyway because I said that there was VBS that night and I had to go help at VBS, which really just meant I ate a bunch of hot dogs. Remember what I did for you, God? I kind of earned a little bit of this, right? And the whole time he's going, no, you can't earn righteousness by keeping. You can't do, you can't do enough to earn this righteousness but see the law is not there for no purpose it's there to kind of point us to what sin really is it's it's kind of saying listen this is what it is and this is what it's not but here's what i love about the law you fast forward through the old testament and you get to the jesus and the sermon on the mountain his first major public speaking uh event and we talked about this a few weeks ago and he goes through the blessed bees remember i go through the beatitudes and he gets right into the law and i love it because jesus knows the law and he begins to say things like, you don't commit adultery. Well, good for you. You're not sleeping around on your spouse. Good, good for you. But you've got lust in your heart. And see, that's, it's, it's like the same thing. You may not have killed anybody today. Congratulations, right? But you, you, you kind of harbor some anger 
And see, that anger towards your brother and, and, and murder in God's eyes, it's, it's the same thing. He, he takes the law, which are these things that we can go, oh yeah, I'm keeping the law, I'm doing really good. And then he makes them very, very personal and very real. And we go, oh, it's a little closer to home than I like, Jesus. It's a little harder to swallow when it comes to these things. And Jesus says, this is, this is, let's go deeper than just the law. Let's go, let's make this a little bit more real than just checking off our list of the law and jesus even said himself which i love he said i'm not here to abolish the law i'm here to fulfill the law i'm here to make it real and 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 impactful in your life let's take this stuff that you were given thousands of years ago through moses on mount sinai let's take this and let's make it boil it down and make it really real to our lives and we start realizing that we're not keeping the law at all there's no way that we could there's no one that could except for him. And we go, okay, well, if, if we can't really keep the law, then we really can't even earn our way. We can't, listen, we can't even keep the top ten, much less the hundreds that the Jews had. And so we see this and we go, okay, I, I understand. And Jesus is saying, see, all this, all this law, all this stuff is pointing to your desperate need for me. That's where I come in. Because, because I bridge the gap. I'm the one that can, that can kind of make the difference up. The, the law is helpful, but what you really need is me. You see, you have the sin problem. And Jews and Gentiles, you all, we all have this sin problem. And, and we can't earn it. We can't do good enough. We still are in incredible need. Look at, let's keep going. Verse 21. But now, I love this, but now a righteousness from God. If you have a pencil or a pen, you need to underline those three words. Righteousness from God. Now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. I love this. This righteousness, this, this right standing is not only with God, but it's from God. That's, an, that's a very important word in our scripture that we just kind of blow right over the top of. This righteousness from God. See, it's not, it's not us. It's not righteousness by Matt Overall. It's not my own ability to pull myself up from my bootstraps. This is from Him. I can't have right relationship unless it comes from Him. My, my right standing, my salvation, everything that I have comes from Him. And it says that the law and the, and the prophets have been testifying. What this just means that the whole Old Testament, that everything through the law and everything through the prophets, and you get into the major prophets and the minor prophets and all these guys, they're all pointing to one person. And that's the person of Jesus. And it only comes one way. I love it. This righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to the to which the law and the prophets testified, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. See, Jesus said himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by who? Me. Right? And people read that and they go, that's, that's too narrow of a mindset. That's too dogmatic of a theology to say that Jesus is the only way to God. And I read that and I go, this is the easiest thing in the world, right? 
We have, we have the easiest gospel to present to people. Jesus. You want to get to heaven? You want to get to God? You want to have a right relationship with the Father who created everything? Jesus. There's, there's no levels of some kind of transcendental meditation that you have to receive. You don't have to rub Buddha's belly and, and pray prayers with, with painted rocks. You know, that's what they do. That Buddha, they, have a, they, have, they have rocks that are painted white on one side and black on the other side. And they pray their prayer and they shake their rocks and however it falls out, if it's two whites, that's a yes. If it's two blacks, that's a no. If it's one and the other, it's try again, right? That's crazy. Who wants to have faith in that? And, and, and they say, well, you've got to meditate. You've got to get to a different level. And once you get to this certain level, then you're going to be in nirvana. And I'm going, that's, that's weird. That doesn't make any sense. Who says you get to level up, right? Or, or maybe that, that it's, it's like Scientology where you pay at the door. And the more you pay, the more enlightenment you receive. That'd be awesome, right? That would pad the pastor's wallet. Pay a little bit, and I'll pray for you this week. That, that doesn't work like that. That's not how we work like that anyway. Or, or maybe if, if, you're, if you're Hindu, then, then maybe you'll get reincarnated into a better person next time around, depending on how good of a person you've been this time. And if you're really, really good, you get to be a cow. Isn't that what everybody wants? That's the holy animal is a cow. I'm going, that's dinner. That's not anything I want to aspire to. And we sit back as Christians and we say, listen, you want right relationship with God? You don't have to meditate. You don't have to, you don't have to level up. You don't have to be reincarnated. You just have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe what he did on the cross is sufficient to forgive you of your sin. And you have to put your faith and hope and trust in him and come underneath his way of living. And he saved you. And people sit back and go, that's too narrow-minded. And I go, that's too easy. It's the only way. It's the easiest, most, most simple, laid-out way. Later in Romans, Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's the gospel, church. You want to know how to present the gospel to somebody that you don't know how to do it? Go to Romans 10, 9. You read that one verse and you've got it. That if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, then you will be saved. Listen, if you get to any other religion or any other Christian, quote-unquote Christian religion, that does not preach Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, then that's not the gospel. You have to have those three things. You have to have Jesus Christ, the cross, his death on the cross and the resurrection. That's what the gospel is. That's the good news. And Paul says it here as plainly as he can that this righteousness from God comes by faith in Jesus. That's all there is to it. Nothing more, nothing less. It all points back to Jesus. And so kind of leaves us with this inevitable question of why. Why do we need this faith in Jesus? Why do we need to be saved? Look at the end of verse 22. We read the first part of it, but it has this little tag that we kind of leave out. Everybody knows Romans 3.23, but we forget about this little first part of 22 in the first part of the sentence. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no difference, Jew or Gentile, Baptist or Methodist, 
right? Rich or poor, church member or non-church member, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we think about God's glory, can you imagine John in Revelation chapter 4 when he goes to the throne room of heaven and he sees this throne in the middle of heaven and there's someone sitting on it. That's an important phrase in in Revelation chapter 4. He sees the throne of heaven and there's someone sitting on it. And it's surrounded by the 24 thrones, the 24 elders who are all dressed in white and have gold crowns on their head. And, and they're constantly fow- bowing down in worship. And there's, he sees this, the, 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 the thunder and the lightning that's emitting from the throne, which is just the power and the majesty of God who sits on the throne. And he sees all the glory and the splendor of heaven. And, and all of heaven, these, these angels are these things that are flying around with six wings that are covered in eyes. And, and they have these different heads on them. And they're all singing out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Can you imagine, John, seeing all that and going, I've seen better. God, have you looked at my glory lately? I'm pretty impressive. I'm kind of a big deal, God. I mean, I know all this is stuff kind of surrounding you, but have you looked at me lately? Wow. You, what was that Hugh Quimby always said? Lord, you did good work, right? Looked in the mirror and said, Lord, you did good work. God, you did a good job on me. Like, this is pretty, I'm special. My mama says so, right? Can you imagine God's, or John saying that while seeing the glory of God? But here's the deal. We do this all the time. We, f- we recognize the glory. We see all that. And, and we sometimes fail to recognize that we fall short of that. Obviously, in that moment when John's in, in the throne room and, and, and he's seen all this, he, he just shrinks back, right? This is the same kind of thing with Isaiah when he sees God and he says, Who will go for me? And, and, and Isaiah says, I, Woe is me, for I am unclean i'm not worthy to even be here see when we look at the glory of god and we recognize the glory of god we recognize just how short of that we come we all sin we all have stuff that that separates us from god especially from god's glory there's no way we could ever attain or reach his glory why do we think that we can reach and attain his righteousness and we look at this and we go Nothing that we do could ever compare to Him. We fall short of God's glory. There's no difference from the preacher to the alcoholic, from the deacons to the Sunday school teachers. There's no difference. We're all short of God's glory. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man, I'm a good person. I do really good things. It doesn't matter. You couldn't find one person in this town to say something bad about. It doesn't matter. I've been a member of this church since it doesn't matter. We all sin and fall short of God's glory. We all need forgiveness. We all need righteousness from him we all need jesus now most people stop reading 
after verse 23 because it's good. It's really good. It's probably one of those that you've had underlined in your Bible for a long time. I remember my grandmother gave me a Ryrie study Bible when I was 12 years old. I wanted one so bad, and she gave me a Ryrie study Bible. I don't, she had one, so I wanted one. Um, and so in the front of that Ryrie study Bible, it's in my office right now, is written the Roman road in a 12-year-old handwriting that looks a lot like my handwriting now. Uh, it says Roman road, and it says turn to this page, and you turn to Romans, it has this, and this verse... 323 is underlined in that Bible. And at the top of the page, it says, go to this verse and say this, right? We have this kind of memorized because this Romans 323 is so good. But too often we stop with 23. And we don't see what the rest of the phrase is. We don't see where it ends because right here it ends kind of with this hopelessness. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if you read the whole thought continuous, it ends with grace. It's an incredible measure of grace. So let's go back. Let's get the last part of 22. Let's get this whole sentence all the way through 24. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Come on. There is no difference. We have all sinned and we've all been justified freely by His grace, by the redeeming act of Jesus Christ. This word justified freely means to be pronounced or rendered right undeservingly. The, the same commentator I read earlier said this, if it's without cost to us, it was not so to the giver. See, this justification, this free gift of right standing with God may be free to us, but it wasn't to God. It may be something that we can take advantage of now. It's a gift that's laid out in front of us now, but it wasn't free and without cost to God. For God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world he gave his one and only son. Whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You want to talk about something that costs something? You want to talk about earning God's righteousness? Jesus already did that for us. He's already paid the price. He's already bought the ticket. He's already paid for your ransom. He says, I've already done all the things that you needed to do for your own righteousness. I've already paid the cost. He says, all you've got to do is take it. See, church, we are undeserving. We are freely justified. We are pronounced right, undeservingly. So, all of this... And we're going to stop. Because there's so much of this that we need to process. When it comes to our thinking of our righteousness. See, the problem that we have is that we like to do things ourselves. We don't like to ask for help. We don't like to kind of cry out in need of anybody else. This is... It's, in, it's kind of ingrained in us. We're South Arkansas. We're good old boys. We're, we're the kind of people that kind of pull themselves up. But it, Paul clearly says here that that's not going to work. 
that we can't ever earn our own way. And so here's the big question I'm going to leave you with and I'm going to be done. Do you trust that what Jesus did for you is enough? Do you trust that what he did on the cross was enough for your justification, for your righteousness, for your salvation? See, we can step back and we can say, yeah, I, I trust that he saved me. But have you ever thought about that because of what he did, God looks at us and says, you have an open and free relationship with me. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. We, we think we have to earn it. We think that we have to do something that somehow is going to get us these points with God that's going to get us to a point where we can say I've done enough I've earned my medal I've earned my crown I have, I have fulfilled all my responsibility I am now righteous that's called self-righteousness something the Bible warns us implicitly about but when you get to a point you realize God I have nothing I have nothing to offer you there's nothing good in me that's out of you. But God, I'm going to give you everything I've got anyway. God, I trust that, that I'm not banking points with you. I'm not trying to earn your approval. I'm not trying to earn your blessing. God, I've already received your blessing. God, I just want you to look at me and smile and say, well done. I want you to look at me and say, you're giving it your best shot. That's all he's asking not so that we get brownie points but because he deserves our best everything we do here we've had staff meeting upon staff meeting and we say if we're going to do something we're going to do it well not so that we get a pat on the back because God deserves our best everything we do we're going to try our best in are you at a point where you're still trying to earn it are you at a point where you think well I've been coming to church for so long I I, surely I'm good by now. Do you trust that what Jesus did is enough? See, when you do, you just put your trust in Him. You give it all over to Him. I'm going to ask you to stand up and bow your head and close your eyes. Larry's going to come and he's going to lead us in our invitation. This is really just an invitation for you to do some business with God. This is your opportunity to say, you know what, God? I need to stop doing things out of obligation or out of, uh, out of a point system when it comes to you, God. I just need to live, I just need to surrender some things. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're going, well, I've, I've always just assumed that my salvation is based on my attendance, and that's not it. This righteousness is from God, not from us. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe you just need to get some things straight between you and your Father. This is your opportunity to do that. If you need to come and pray, these altars are open. You can come and pray. If you need to come talk to me, I'd love to talk to you. Hey, this is Matt Overall, the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. 
Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. We'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.